Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us, or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never it's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton here. We have a ton of show today. Topics are going to include sanctuary cities, Uh, Representative Nunez under siege in his role as uh, chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Media wants him to go and recuse himself. Uh, Canada, anti-speech protesters. We might get into that if we have time. Oh, climate change executive orders. Trump undoing some of Obama's climate change environmentalist legacy. And... Maybe we'll talk about Chuck Schumer being mean and yelling at people in a fancy restaurant here in New York City because they voted for Trump, if we have time. Fantastic guests coming throughout the show as well. So let me get right into it now so I don't leave too much on the cutting room floor here in the Freedom Hut. Sanctuary cities. Okay, we knew this was going to be a fight. I've been telling you for a while. Sanctuary showdown. Here we are. I want to break this down into a couple of different pathways two different levels there's the very basic level and then there's the complicated legalese of what's really going on here in the courts and everything we'll do that too but first what do we really need to know what is a sanctuary city policy all about Uh, you have heard from about this for quite some time and conservatives certainly during the uh trump run for the presidency. We're spending a lot of their time talking about what's true with immigration and what is not. Here's what a sanctuary city more or less is. Uh, And it depends on the local jurisdiction we are talking about. It is a city that will will decide that it will serve all individuals. This is a Washington Post definition. Here you go. Serve all individuals without regard to immigration status. Protect the privacy of community members by keeping their immigration status confidential uh, or direct law enforcement officers not to investigate, arrest, or hold people solely on the basis of immigration status. Now, those are not points that are really at at issue here, although it is fascinating to read that there are cities, there are places across the country where they want there to be access to what they call basic benefits. I wonder what they mean by that for people not entitled to be in the country in the first place, which means they are not supposed to get these basic benefits in many cases. But perhaps that's too much specificity for this talk. So they have jurisdictions across the country, hundreds of them, although it's really low. I mean, the the locus of this is primarily in major cities. Uh, There are a lot of other places that don't want to get sued by activist groups, and so they won't engage in, well, what is supposed to be mandated by law here, which is a a level of cooperation with Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. So at the very basic level, what you have, the problem here is that there are cities that decide that when they have 
an illegal immigrant in custody, they will not respect a request from Immigrations and Customs uh, Enforcement called the detainer request to hold them until the federal officials can come pick the person up because they've been marked for deportation because they're in the country illegally. Now, under law, they are supposed to relay the immigration status to the federal government of anybody who is in custody, irrespective of guilt or innocence of the crime at issue, meaning the not their crime of illegal status, but why are they in custody? That doesn't matter for the purposes of federal law. Federal government says, and I can give you the actual statute. Here it is, 8 U.S.C. 1373. Notwithstanding any other provisions of federal, state, or local law, a federal, state, or local government entity or official may not prohibit or in any way restrict any government entity or official from sending to or receiving from the Immigration and Naturalization Service information regarding the citizenship or immigration status lawful or unlawful of any individual. This is a a law passed by Congress uh, back in, I believe, 96. says you have to tell the Fed someone's immigration status if you have them in custody. So what we have here are some places, and they're now publishing this information, some places that say, well, we're not going to—they either don't do it or they won't give details about how often they do it or— They are pushing back on that, but the place that it really breaks down is on these detainer requests. So they are unwilling to assist the federal government in its lawful, congressionally mandated mission of enforcing immigration laws. They are unwilling unwilling to do so, and that's going to go into the courts. But before I get into the legal arguments on uh, the various sides of this issue, let me first just say that what happens here that you have illegal aliens who are in... Notice how no one uses that term anymore. It's the, it's the term used in federal law and statute. You have illegal aliens who are in the country and who are now in custody for some reason. And these jurisdictions, uh, we can talk about... There's a lot of them, but the main one, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York. These jurisdictions decide um, that they would rather release the individual in their custody knowing that they are illegal than hold them and wait for Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Authorities to come pick that person up for lawful deportation proceedings. Now, when they make that decision, sometimes that means that that person who is in custody, who is under federal law, and we all know because I'll get into some of the details on this too, uh, the federal government has said, and said this under the Obama administration, They and they alone get to determine immigration laws. But we know that the person in custody is supposed to be in ICE custody and deported, in Immigrations and Customs Enforcement custody. And they release these people. This is at the very basic level. This is what happens. They release them for purely political reasons, because the Democrat Party and you go down to the city level, the municipal level, it it is all or nothing politically for the left to have illegal immigrants treated in this fashion, meaning that they are given a pass here. When the federal government says, can you give this individual over to us? These cities say no, because you can't be the mayor. You're going to get thrown out as chief of police. You can't, you know, you can't be a DA. Anything that anyone in these cities who stands up and says, we will assist the federal government in its lawful mission here 
knows that their career is over. But the other side of that is that those individuals who are illegal aliens who are in custody, who are let out of custody, despite a request from the federal government. And remember, I just read to you from the federal statute. They have to tell the federal government about the status of the person in custody. So they tell them and then ICE will check and say, "Okay, uh, we we do or do not want. Remember, it's up to their discretion. Not everybody's going to get deported. But if it's a gang member or if it's somebody that's been caught up in legal issues in the past as well, maybe they will be somebody at the front of the line for deportation. But some of those people are released and then commit crimes, including violent and heinous crimes. So you have authorities who are supposed to be protecting us, not assisting other authorities who are supposed to be protecting us. And in that gap, you have hundreds of cases just that have come to light recently of those who have been released out of the general public and have uh, serious criminal records and in some cases commit crimes once they have been released. This should be a scandal. This should be an obvious case of, well, hold on a second. These municipal authorities, if, let me say, let me put it this way. If someone that I knew, you know, if it was my wife or my child who was harmed by an illegal immigrant, who was, let's say, even killed, my legal immigrant who was in custody, the federal government said, hold them, we want to take this person into deportation proceedings and send them back to their country of origin. I would want to hold that city authority accountable for that. And now we get into, well, can you or can't you? But you should be able to because they are making a decision that puts people at risk. Um, And you should also note that there's a lot of anger that comes from the Democrats on this issue just from publishing facts. I have in front of me enforcement and removal operations from Immigrations and Customs Enforcement published by our own government for the uh, week of January 28th to February 3rd, 2017. Weekly, de- this is the t- at the top of the report, weekly, deta- uh, weekly decline detainer outcome report. And they go through all of the different cases across the country that they're aware of. There's even more that I'm sure they're not. And they list here the person's citizenship and their notable criminal activity. And they point out all these different individuals, hundreds of them, just for this one week, that were in custody, that ICE asked for a detainer request, meaning ICE was like, we should get this person out of the country. And whether we're talking about New York or Texas or Pennsylvania or I go down the list, A lot in Texas, by the way. There's one, I believe, Travis County, Texas, gets the award for the most denied detainer requests in here by far. But there are people with allegations, if not conviction. Oh, no, they have conviction, by the way, on here, too. Uh, There's convictions and then there's just charges. But people charged with cruelty toward wife, domestic violence, domestic violence, assault, assault, driving under the influence. Uh, domestic violence, assault, amphetamine possession, I mean, you know, selling heroin. I go down the list, pro- carrying a prohibited weapon. You go down. These are people who are here, not even supposed to be in the country. And they are in custody. And, they're be- and the federal government knows that this person is in custody who's not supposed to be in the country anymore. And these different municipalities, for reasons of pure politics, say we're letting this, we're letting this individual back out into the general population, you know, if something happens, 
NBD, no big deal, not our fault, who cares? We take no responsibility for it. That's what they're telling you. It's just wrong. And they get upset when you publish the info. Now they're saying, I've even read, I've read analysis. People comparing this, oh, well, look, this is like what Hitler, this is from places you'll read, internet sites that have real credibility on the left, at least. They'll say, well, you know, this is what Hitler did, or this is fascism, just by publishing the statistics. Their hostility to facts and figures when it comes to illegal immigrants, and by the way, we have to keep specifying, because whether it's Rahm Emanuel or uh, Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio here in New York City, his name was originally Warren Wilhelm, and he changed it to Bill de Blasio, side note, so we call him the Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio, or you name it, whichever politician we're talking about that's spoken out on this issue. Uh, They don't want the information out there. They don't want to be a part of this at all. They don't care what the federal law says. They don't care what the federal government wants. There are so many other instances, by the way, of local, and any of you who are police, are law enforcement yourselves, or have them in your family, I'm sure already know this. Uh, do, Do you think that usually when the U.S. Attorney's Office says they want local law enforcement to go along with them, with FBI or... Do you think that usually local law enforcement goes, no, 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 that dangerous criminal, we want no part of that? No, they, they're in the law enforcement business, and they are cer- it's certainly within their power to help. Now we can get into—so that's, that's the baseline of what's going on here. People, in many cases accused of serious crimes or convicted of serious crimes, are in custody, are not supposed to be in the country at all, and these different jurisdictions are releasing them for reasons of pure politics, saying, sorry, not our problem. That's where the real sanctuary city debate happens right now. Now, I'll get into the legality of this as well, because that's you're going to see a lot of talk now about uh, the uh, rights of states' rights, the rights of states. You have Democrats making states' rights arguments here. It's fascinating to see them do it. Uh, We'll get into that and much more. 844-900-2825. Any of you, by the way, who live in major sanctuary jurisdictions and have thoughts on this one, would be great to hear what you think. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. So what can the federal government do here? What are they going to do in response to this decision, this decision that's been going on? It's an ongoing uh, problem for years that they're not going to help federal immigration authorities when asked. Uh, Despite the fact there's a law, they have to share the information. The specifics of detainers, uh, that should be spelled out even more. There should be congressional action, in my opinion, to say that they have to compel them. And they're going to fight this, by the way. They're already going to fight this. Right now, the federal government says they're not even going to that length. You have the administration with uh, Attorney General Sessions leading the charge here saying that they're going to withhold funds, federal funds, specifically for law enforcement, from sanctuary jurisdictions if they do not prove that they are complying at a minimum with the information sharing, which is mandated under federal law, I read to you from the statute itself. And the response, as you can imagine, it's quite predictable in these sanctuary cities. Got Bill de Blasio here in New York City saying the following. We're not going to turn our police officers into immigration uh, enforcers. It would make us less safe. And uh, in the end, we're not, why, why, what are we going to say? We're going to take federal money so we can be less safe? No, we're not going to fall for that. Nothing he said there was true, by the way. This is not about making, there is no federal program or initiative to force local police 
to go try to round up people they think are here illegally. And and, you know, you're reading this, I'm sure, in different places because it's popping up all the time. Oh, there's part of the mass deportation. That's not their job. It's not true at all. All that they are doing is holding somebody that the federal government has complete legitimate right to want in their custody. This is just about a, a, a transfer from local custody to federal custody. If somebody was in prison, I know this is a more serious offense, although there are uh, murderers and kidnappers and rapists that sometimes fall through the cracks of this process too, by the way. But if, if there was a terrorist in local custody and the federal government said, oh my gosh, we're looking at that guy, he's a terrorist, can you hand him over to us? And the local police were like, ah, sorry, we don't have a, we don't have a local statute about this, we're going to let him go. Everybody would lose their minds, right? So let's not pretend that they're not making a very clear choice here. Uh, but what de Blasio says about making them into immigration, that's not true. This whole would make us less safe. This is just based on conjecture and nothing. Because cities that have sanctuary policies have gotten safer in recent decades, they say it's, well, they're sanctuary cities. Would they be even safer if they weren't sanctuary cities? They give no baseline, no proof. There's been massive drop in uh, violent crime for a few decades now in this country. So is is it because these cities have sanctuary policies or no, that's just there's no causation established whatsoever. Um, And then you've got a a Democrat here in New York, Adriano, um, Adriano Esperlat, saying that defunding sanctuary cities is well, I'll let him say it himself. Well, this is a serious threat to the security of Americans uh, throughout the country and particularly New York City, which is. Uh, the largest, safest city in America. And by yanking funding away and clawing back funding away from law enforcement, we're putting uh, average Americans at risk. In fact, it's almost like putting a gun in the head of Americans and playing Russian roulette. This is egregious, and this is something that shouldn't have happened. So now if you are the federal government and you are giving money specifically to have local police jurisdictions enforce the law to help them in law enforcement missions and you're told well if you don't help us on this and there there is some of the, some of those funds are specified for this issue of you know de- detainers and the transfer of information although it is a small portion of the overall funds but they're giving this money for law enforcement purposes from the federal government it's a grant it's an award you'll see that language used and now they're saying well we may not give those awards to some places and oh Terrible things, like putting a gun to the head of the American people, you've got this guy saying. Um, it's it's outrageous. But this is just all about politics. Um, of course, the way that this is all going now, you're going to see this in the courts. The courts that have been stacked with progressive leftists for quite a while. Uh, but the courts are going to be looking at whether the federal government uh, can request reasonably that these local jurisdictions, that local police and law enforcement have to hold and hand over someone that is wanted by the federal government. They're saying, oh, no, 10th Amendment, states' rights, you don't have to, you, you can't make us do this. That's fascinating because, you know, Title IX says that unless you do stuff that the federal government wants you to do with regard to discrimination over issues of gender, you're not getting that federal money. And I don't hear them talking about the 10th Amendment there. We've got a lot more. We are joined, team, by Congressman Mo Brooks of Alabama. Congressman, thank you very much for giving us some time. My pleasure. Uh, can we let's talk first about immigration, and then obviously I'm gonna I want your take on what happened with health care and what is going to happen on health care. But first, 
the sanctuary city showdown. You've got these various jurisdictions vowing, their mayors and others vowing to fight any effort to crack down. It seems to me there are two, you know, crack down on, on the sanctuary policies. Two questions I wanted to pose to you. First is, is it constitutional? Because they're saying it's not in your mind. Is it constitutional and why for the federal government to say, sorry, you're not getting some of the federal law enforcement funds if you don't play ball with us? I have not examined any of the federal court opinions that may have dealt with this issue, so I'm hesitant to say. But on the surface, I have great confidence and faith in Attorney General Jeff Sessions. He does his homework, and I do not believe that he would take the position he took absent a compelling legal basis for his having done so. And do you think that already under law passed uh, in 1996, I believe it was, there was a law passed I read from it uh, on the show that says that local jurisdictions, local police uh, have to share information about immigration status uh, with federal authorities. Do you, are, there, are there jurisdictions that are not doing that, and do you think they should be penalized? There are jurisdictions around the country that are not properly coordinating with or cooperating with our border security and ICE agents, and yes, I do believe they should be penalized. And as far as I'm concerned, the greater the punishment, the better. What about the detainer uh, request? That's where this that's where they're now. I mean, obviously, I mean, I asked you about whether they're not coordinating. They say they do, but they won't provide the numbers. But on the detainer request specifically about holding people for an additional 24 to 48 hours so ICE can pick them up. We know a lot of jurisdictions are not doing that, but they say that they don't have to. Do you do you have an opinion on that? No, not at this point. I do not. I'd have to research the law and uh, the interpretation of the law by appellate courts. All right. Well, let's move on to Obamacare. I know you've got opinions on this because you filed a one sentence bill to repeal Obamacare. Tell us about that. Well, it's what we promised the American people were going to do, repeal Obamacare. It's not a hundred and something page bill that says on the one hand we're repealing Obamacare, but on the other hand, we are going to reincorporate into our replacement all of the provisions of Obamacare that drive up the cost so much. You know, when you see a Congressional Budget Office and Joint Committee on Taxation uh, set of reports, both of which say that under the Republican Welfare Plan, insurance premium costs are going to go up 15 to 20 percent over the next couple of years, you know that we're not in a substantive way dealing with the cost drivers behind Obamacare, yet the Republican Welfare Plan did exactly that. And that's before you get to what I call the largest Republican welfare program in the history of the Republican Party. And that's where the federal government is either going to be cutting checks or allowing tax credit offsets or um, wire depositing or cutting checks to insurance companies uh, chosen uh, by American taxpayers. That all sounds good, all that giveaway, but at some point someone has to pay for it. And that's where the working folks in America are getting hammered with the bill that comes forth from having to pay for not only their own insurance, but also all those others out there that are not carrying their weight uh, in America. And so uh, that's just mind-boggling to me. And, and if you look at the political ramifications long-term, the Republican welfare plan, by uh, giving away anywhere from $2,500 to $9,000 uh, per person, uh, depending on a lot of uh, variable factors as to how many people are in that uh, household, uh, with a maximum of 14000 When you're giving away all that money to all these voters who vote Republican, who have done it the right way, who are self-sufficient, 
all of a sudden you're turning them into people who are welfare dependent. That means every future election is going to be about how much more welfare can you give me to help offset my health insurance premiums. Never mind the cost side, where on the one hand we're giving it to you, but on the other hand we're taking the same amount back plus more because you've now got a federal bureaucracy to pay. So there's a, you know, there's a portion of the money that's taken away in taxes that never gets back. But in future elections, in effect, this legislation just turns the United States of America over to the Bernie Sanders socialist wing of American society. And as you know from what's happening in Venezuela right now, you put socialism in place of a, of a country's economy for some number of years, and the thing's going to collapse. And in, and in Venezuela, uh, those people are suffering tremendous hardship from having foolishly allowed their government to experiment with socialism, and now they're paying the price. We already see Bernie Sanders, uh, Nancy Pelosi, and others speaking openly about single-payer, the government paying for everyone's health care all over the country. Uh, so that's a hard left turn from where we are right now. But uh, well, What you have in this Republican welfare bill is, in essence, single-payer, just not paying all of it. It's just a stepping stone towards ultimately single-payer and the federal government socializing the health care uh, system as it is done in the United Kingdom and other countries. Uh, and some people may not be aware of what happens with socialized medicine, but this is what happens. The quality of health care goes down substantially, particularly with respect to life-saving measures that are expensive. That's where the independent payment advisory panels come into play. They make life and death decisions over who gets care and who does not. And that's why it's often referred to as the death panel. What happened, Congressman? We've been hearing about the repeal of Obamacare from Republicans for years. They have taken dozens and dozens of votes to repeal Obamacare in the past. Now here, we, we all are ready for this. They show up. They've been talking about this for years. And the, the excuses I was hearing, oh, well, it, it, there'll be a second and a third phase and reconciliation. And it just seemed like there was a lot of... Uh, lawyering in a bad way and a bit of dishonesty from some of the Republicans on what was really going on. I mean, why start out with a wishy-washy bill? Why not at least start out with a really conservative bill and then try to fight through it? That would make sense to me. Two years ago, we passed legislation, the Republicans did in the House and the Republicans did in the Senate, that gutted Obamacare. Not a total repeal, but it did so much damage that Obamacare would be, just be a mere shadow of its then current self. It went to the president's desk and he vetoed it. And for the life of me, I do not understand why the House leadership does not let us vote on that legislation. If it fails, okay, then you can start worrying about trying to pass a bill that's not quite as bad as Obamacare. Still bad, but not as bad as Obamacare. But if we were to pass a total repeal, that would put us in an excellent position in two different respects. One, if we did nothing else, then America reverts back to the health care laws of 2009, which happen to be the very same laws that produce the best health care on the planet and at lower cost in terms of premiums and with respect to insurance at lower deductibles so that when you actually had insurance, you could use it. I, I just, it, I'm, I'm disheartened, I'm dismayed, I'm baffled. I just don't get why we don't go to that kind of legislation that we passed 50 or 60 times over the preceding six uh, years. And then I'm further baffled by those that want to create a surrender caucus who say, all right, this is the one vote you get. There won't be any more. Uh, Congressman, I, I, I average in about 10 votes a year. 
I, I want to uh, ask you one more here. What do you think is going to happen now with your Republican colleagues in the House and the Senate? Uh, I've heard Paul Ryan says this isn't over. Others are saying, well, we're just going to go to taxes. Do you have confidence that the lesson learned here is that you've got to actually repeal Obamacare? Or do you think there's going to be a return to we'll find some centrist way in the middle? If the Tea Party movement of 2010 that culminated with the election of President Donald Trump will get to work and get to work hard like they were in 2009 and 2010 and contact their congressmen and senators and demand a repeal of Obamacare, not replacement with another socialized medicine program, okay, but just a repeal of Obamacare and nothing else, then it will get done. Uh, But if the American people do not rise up and contact their House members and senators, then the Republican senators and the Republican House members who represented to the American people in order to get elected, in order to win primaries, that they're going to repeal Obamacare, well, they've become somewhat weak-kneed, and I'm very much concerned that you will see us reverting to just a different form of socialized medicine. And in summation, that is why the Republican leadership plan in the House has been referred to quite accurately, I believe, as Obamacare 2.0 or Obamacare light. That's how much of Obamacare has been reincorporated. And quite frankly, it's been reincorporated in large part because of the indivisible and resist movements. Those folks are contacting congressional offices and senatorial offices on a regular basis, and it's affecting the willingness of congressmen and senators to keep their promises to the American people in order to get elected. Congressman Mo Brooks of Alabama, Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Have a good one. We've got Mimi in San Francisco on the iHeart app. What's up, Mimi? Hey, Shield Tie Buck. Shield Tie, Mimi. I wanted to talk about um, sanctuary cities in San Francisco in particular. And two things I wanted to comment on. In 2008, there was a family that was killed. Half of the family was killed by a guy named Edwin Ramos, who was an illegal immigrant and an MS-13 gang member. And the family tried to sue the city because they said the sanctuary policies led to the fatal shooting. And, and they actually had this guy in custody a couple times, and they kept letting him go and letting him go. And uh, the family tried to sue, and the, the lawsuit was dismissed. They were told they couldn't sue the city. So that's one thing. The other comment I wanted to make is that a bunch right. I, I think of, Congress should pass a law changing that, by the way, but go ahead. I agree. Uh, a, a group of us out here joined an organization called the Minuteman Organization, and we were average citizens who wanted to stop illegal immigration. And we used to go into San Francisco every year and – when when the illegals were, were demanding uh, that they be allowed to stay in the country, we would stand up to them and say, you know, we're for legal immigration, but we're not for illegal immigration. These people were vicious. They were nasty. They, especially the Mexicans, they kept telling us we were Europeans and we should go home back to Europe. We didn't belong here. So this whole thing creates this uh, this mentality in these people that uh, we're the bad guys and they're the good guys and they deserve to be here. It, it's really a, 
it, it creates this whole sense of lawlessness that we have. Here. I, I would just want to ask any, especially when they do these profiles, as they often do in the media, of the illegal immigrant valedictorian or the illegal immigrant who, I don't know, you know, saves uh, puppies from a burning house or something. Uh, we see those stories. I would just want to ask the illegal immigrant, uh, does any, does everyone get to come here? Is there is there nobody that is, uh, you know, nobody that's going to be told to wait in line? Because if the policy is illegal immigration is fine, then we're an we're an open borders country. So you can, you know can't be both ways. It can't be well. You, some illegals can millions of illegals can stay, millions more can come, but we can't say that we're open borders because then we know we don't have a country anymore. I, I just want to know where they where the line is drawn. And I would ask the advocates of illegal immigration, which really now is the Democratic Party. I mean, the Democrat Party advocates openly for illegal immigrants all the time. Uh, where do they draw the line? You had a half a million visa overstays last year. So are we going to kick out the half a million people? Yes or no? Well, that was just last year. What about this year? I mean, you know, you keep going down this pathway and they never have any answers, Mimi. Yeah, and as a citizen, I would say the police were protecting us from the illegal in San Francisco. They had to protect us. So here we are, U.S. citizens, taxpayers, paying the bills for all this stuff, and we're the ones being made to feel that we don't belong here. It's not right. I hear you, Mimi. Thank you very much for calling in from San Francisco and Shields High. Uh, Kenneth in Mississippi, WBUV. What's up, Kenneth? Hey, uh, uh, Buck, and I, I totally agree with your call, caller, and I sympathize with her. And also uh, agree with your uh, guest, the representative from Alabama. Mo Brooks. And Mel Brooks. Mo, and Mo Brooks. Think, Mo Brooks, yes. We, I think we have to recognize that we are in a war, and we're going to have to mobilize, and, and we're going to have to stand together. And I'm asking— A political some, war, right? <laughs> political war. Some of you talk radio hosts— Need to organize yourself so and and so that y'all start calling out people to 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 organize and to get together and make these calls and start demanding because we're going to lose this country if we if this continues we're going to lose this country. They got the deck stacked against us with the courts and everything else, and we we you know it's it's a war. It literally is a war. Well, it's a political war. It's not literally a war, but I know what you mean, Kenneth. Um, I, I, or think well, I, I think I know what you mean. Um, thank you for calling in on WBV. Appreciate it from uh, Mississippi. Uh, one one note, and I was going to write about this, and I think somebody beat me to it in the Wall Street Journal, but I, I just have to note, this is fascinating. For for the day, well, all through the election and then after he won, of course, these these calls got much louder that uh, Trump was a fascist, that he was going to, that he was uh, Hitlerian, that he was Hitler-like, that he would uh, destroy democracy and run roughshod over all the institutions of democracy, and it, it, he was such a threat. And people that want us to think of their analysis as serious were saying this, they were writing this, and they were taken seriously by other people who think that their opinions are serious and well-informed and scholarly. So far, what have we seen? Uh, a lot of Trump just saying, OK, well, uh, we got to go to court. Uh, the, you know, the, the court stopped us. So now let's go through the legal process. You know, Congress was we didn't have the votes. OK, we'll do something else. Does he, I'm just wondering if for all the people that were sitting around saying that Trump would be a dictator. If he's a dictator, he's a pretty bad one, because so far, every time, even in my opinion, 
uh, improperly, the federal government has stopped him from doing something or there's been, the courts have stopped him from doing something, I should say, uh, although the courts are part of the federal government, really. Um, but every time there's been a, a holdup in his agenda, every time there's been some problem, he's gone through the completely legitimate recourse and, in fact, has been willing to say, OK, well, we'll move on to the next thing. Does he get credit for not being a dictator? No, I just want to, now we're told he's ineffective, White House in disarray, his agenda's in trouble. Well, if he's a dictator, his agenda wouldn't be in trouble, would it? It can't be both ways. You can't be telling me for months that Trump is just going to seize power and crush all of his enemies, and then, you know, one federal judge in Hawaii, like, shuts down his executive order just because just he says so. Trump's not a very good dictator, is he? It's because he's not a dictator, and everyone who was saying that uh, including some very prominent mainstream media uh, personalities, pundits, analysts, anchors. They should be repudiated for that. I mean, pe- people should really hold them accountable for creating this atmosphere of hyperbolic fear. That's what we've all been living in for months. Oh, Trump, it's so terrible. He's going to destroy America. Well, uh, apparently he's not going to destroy America at all because he can't even do things that he should be able to do as president. Executive orders are being overturned. Uh, Obviously, with the Congress, this is on the Republicans. I'm not saying it's on the Democrats, but, you know, it's not like he just says, yeah, well, Obamacare is repealed by by diktat. I'm just going to say it's repealed. Nope. That's not what's happened either. So just keep in mind that we were told for we were told for the first couple of months of the presidency that he was a dictator and now we're being told he's ineffective ineffectual can't get his agenda done it's just there's no intellectual integrity for a lot of the leftist trump haters it's just what can i do to create a perception of failure and to damage administration today and that that's what they'll do that's what they'll do so like i said if he was a dictator he's a really bad one but he's not a dictator is he He spreads freedom because freedom's not going to spread itself. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back, Team Buck. We are joined by our friend Vince Colonese. He is the Daily Caller's editor-in-chief. Got a lot of headlines to run through with him. Vince, great to have you. Vince. I do not hear Vince. Am I the only one that does not hear Vince? Because if not... All right, we'll get Vince back later. Sorry. Um, so hold on one second here, team. Uh, let's talk about Devin Nunez. Um, let's talk about Devin Nunez here for a second. So we have people that are calling for the recusal of Devin Nunez. Uh, we have people that are saying that he needs to uh, give it up, can't be the chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence anymore. And I keep asking, because of what exactly? Uh, and I'm not saying there's no—I am convincible on this issue. I, I don't have some dog in the fight. I don't really care all that much. I just notice a pattern, a pattern the Democrats have played out now already a couple of times. They demand recusal, and then they demand further investigation, and some even whisper about resignation, and then some even whisper about prosecution. Happened with Attorney General Sessions— and now, as we look at what's happening with Nunez, I just would say to myself, okay, um, hold on a second. What is the problem here? And he's asked this question 
himself. Like when he said this. We're not going to talk about the investigation. If you have any kind of intelligence questions, I'll brief you at the proper appropriate time when we have new information, just like I always have been. We decided whether or not you'll be interviewed for a simple affirmative, which you've almost given. At this time, you are not considering... I'm asking... Well, look, I'd like to answer your question, but I'd like to know first what, what the purpose of that would be, why that would be, because someone asks... I mean, that's yeah, not how the, that's not how they sit. Congress are calling for your future self, saying that you have a conflict of interest. I just left. Uh, well, what would that be? Help me understand. They're saying their their criticism is that you're too close to the White House. You shouldn't have briefed the president last week, and you can't credibly run the investigation. That's what they're saying. Okay. So do you? That's what the media is saying. Know the truth to that. You were told what you you guys know exactly uh, what was said. So I briefed all of you last week many times. Can you pause so it for one second? Just pause it for a second. That's going. So he's being he's been ambushed by all these reporters, which I know that happens. He's got a reporter gaggle. He's in like the bowels of Capitol Hill, and they're all saying, well, "Are you going to recuse yourself? Are you going to recuse yourself?" Uh, if, at, at some level, the question becomes an allegation. At some level, the repetition of "Are you going to recuse yourself?" is the story. Forget about trying to get a story or get an answer. Just these reporters all taking audio and video of each other saying, you're going to recuse yourself, you're going to recuse yourself, then that gets blasted ever. That becomes the story. It's very effective, isn't it, as a, as a tool of propaganda. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, and they keep asking him the same questions over and over, and he gets a little flustered. We can play a little more of that audio if we have it. Go. Not on this investigation, so I would just say go talk to them and ask them why. But are you going to stay as chairman and run this investigation? Well, why would I not? You guys need to go ask them why they're, you know, why these things are being said. So can this investigation continue as you as chairman? Why would it not? Because aren't, there's, I, aren't I briefing you guys continuously? So but they're keeping saying, you up and keeping so you up to speed. Words, but they're saying that it cannot run as you as chair would well, be as now, chairman. You got to go talk to them. That sounds like their problem. I don't have, you know, my colleagues are perfectly fine. I mean, there's, they know we're doing an investigation and that will continue. Do you feel that the committee, that the, the, the investigation at this point will not be affected by all of this, though? Will it change in quality or how it runs? Because no, I mean, we're doing a very thorough job on this investigation. As you know, this this Russia issue, we have been on it for many, many years. And all so right, we'll so let, let's, let's keep it, let's keep it real here. Let's, let's get into this for a moment. So you've got all these reporters saying, you know, asking Nunez, and they're really making a statement in the form of a question, right? Are you going to recuse yourself? Are you going to recuse yourself? Uh, and and I do feel the need to point out, remember when the Attorney General of the United States, who was presiding over a highly sensitive and contentious investigation into Espionage Act violations uh, by alleged Espionage Act violations by Hillary Clinton, although the, the allegations turned out to be real, they just didn't charge her because she didn't have a it was unintentional, but there were violations of the Espionage Act, just unintentional violations. But I digress. Uh, remember Loretta Lynch sat with Bill Clinton right before the announcement was made by the FBI, which was also strange. We're going to talk about how these things happen. Why wouldn't the attorney general make the announcement? Why make Coney, Comey make the announcement? Do you remember when she recused herself? Oh, that's right. She didn't, did she? The attorney general did not. In an obvious case, of she sat down with the husband of the person under investigation who was running for president of the United States right before the there was no recusal. There was no nothing. You know, that's that's it. You know, she didn't say, oh, well, because we as we know, the investigation then got a little more coverage later on and it could have come back up. And people say, well, Buck, it was only a few days, but she could have just recused herself and said, yeah, I'll have nothing to do. I have nothing to do with this. You're right. I shouldn't have talked to him. 
There was no recusal. This is very politicized. Let's all understand. When you have members of Congress who have an R or a D next to their name, Republican or Democrat, it's already being put through a certain lens. At least it's out in the open and you see it. You know, does anyone think they're not? When, when Chuck Schumer is asking ridiculous questions of Neil Gorsuch, and when Chuck Schumer doesn't even care what he's saying, he just wants to grandstand and talk about women's rights and I love this and I love that. You know, when Chuck Schumer's doing all that, do you, do you think that, what, is, is that not politicized? Is that, is that really about, and now you say, well, Buck, those are in hearings, it's not an investigation. Okay, but the members of the House have done that too. We all know where they stand on politics. Unless there is a procedural issue here, unless there is something they can point to that is wrong in a way that requires redress, not wrong in a way that requires, yeah, sorry, I should have told you guys first before I went out with these allegations um, from reporting that I've seen, then I, I need to know where the lines are here. I, I need to know recusal happens when what? A Republican is part of an investigation that Democrats are also part of? A recusal happened. Remember, AG, AG Sessions stepped down because they got him. Oh, he said he didn't have connections with Russia. One of those Russia connections we had on this show, Jim Carafano from the Heritage Foundation, to tell you that he arranged this second meeting they're talking about. And it was the equivalent of like, you know, did you have an in-person meeting with someone? Uh, I don't know. They were at a book signing. They were one of a thousand people there. And yeah, I think I shook their hand and said hello. Well, yeah, that's a meeting. You should have reported that. Well, I mean, not really. But Sessions recused himself um, because there was all the pressure. And they said, OK, fine. He recused himself. Now we have Nunez. Oh, he's going to recuse him. Do we think this is a coincidence that yet, yet another Republican involved in the investigation, another Republican who can at least give his version of what he thinks is going on here based on the facts, is supposed to step down? Now, I know there I, I know that conservatives have principles and that leftists and progressives really, really don't. Right. Meaning that. For a progressive, the ends justify the means. The same with Marxists, the same with communists, the same with a whole bunch of other uh, statist, state-before-all types. Okay, fine. Conservatives actually have principles, and so they don't like it when they see this kind of political food fight playing out where they think that maybe one, maybe someone on our side is being uh, a little unfair to the process. That is a completely valid point of view, and I understand how some people feel that way. I just also want to give you another point of view which is that the Democrats view this as a street fight and one that if they win, they can take down the whole administration. They do not care what the facts are. They do not care what comes out of this investigation. It is every bit as politicized by Adam Schiff as it could ever be by Devin Nunez. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not be naive about this. And I said this when Attorney General Sessions recused himself. And I said this after... General Flynn stepped down. I said, don't think that this act of contrition or this act of goodwill and fair play will be in any way uh, met with some goodwill on their side. That's just foolishness. No, this is just feeding the beast and it gets bigger and it wants more. The Democrats want more. This is how they're trying to stop this administration. They're holding up nominees for things. They may even hold up Gorsuch in the Supreme Court or in the Senate. Uh, we'll see about that, though. But Nunez is supposed to step down. Why? He was on Fox last night with Bill O'Reilly explaining why he was at the, quote, White House, which means the White House grounds, which is a large place where lots of different people work and have access 
or can access classified information in certain secure areas. Here's what he said on O'Reilly, play 24. We go to the executive branch uh, at least once or twice a week. This is not unusual because there are intelligence products that we don't have access to uh, in the House of Representatives, uh, but we do have the clearances to see them. So uh, we've known about this long before. Trump actually sent his famous tweet out about the wiretapping at Trump Tower. Uh, we've known that there was additional unmasking of Americans' names. Uh, we had sources that had provided us to it, uh, that information. Uh, and so what I had to do is I needed a place that I could actually go and find this information uh, and review it. And see uh, it. And so we just facilitated it. So you it went to the it. old executive office building. My guess, I know you're not yeah, saying, so, so, my guess, yeah. okay, and you looked at it, but they didn't give it to you. You just saw it, and then you went over to uh, the president and told him what you saw. Yeah, the next, the, ne the next day. So, next you know, day. There, was no, there was no sneaking around. I walked, in, I, I walked onto the ground, said hi to people. Uh, you know, did not go to the West Wing, did not talk to the president. And then what I reviewed and when I found out that it had nothing to do with Russia. What's the bigger story, by the way? That Nunez was on the White House grounds, nothing improper, nothing illegal, a quite a leap from on the White House grounds to doing the bidding of Donald Trump in the Oval Office to go out there and what, lie about classified information that he saw? He must have quite a bit of sway over Nunez to possibly sacrifice his entire career and integrity on this issue. D does he work for Donald Trump? I I I'm under the impression it's a co-equal branch of government. Why would Devin Nunez do that? If the information were false, if the information is true, isn't it also worth pointing out that it doesn't matter who in the government, as long as they have legal access to it, doesn't matter who in the government wanted Nunez to see it or let him see it, as long as it goes through proper channels in terms of handling the classified information, Nunez has a clearance. What's, but how is the big story that Nunez was on the White House grounds and not that the House Intelligence Oversight Chairman is saying that there was foul play inside the intelligence collection system to hurt a political candidate in this country. And this is... Uh, th this should be hair on fire, shocking, terrifying, DEFCON 2 politically kind of stuff. But instead, oh, oh where was he? Well, what was he doing? Oh, who's his source? That's the other game that I'm so astounded to see members of the media playing. Who's your source? Yeah, let's just think about this for a second. If someone's a civil servant and they work for an agency, maybe an agency where a lot of their colleagues completely hate Trump. I'm just, I'm just putting this out there. I don't know. And they're coming forward to share information with the oversight, the congressional oversight chairman. This is proper channels, everybody. This is how it's supposed to go. But they don't want to become part of the circus. They don't want to become part of the Democrats, fire him, lock him up, ruin his life game that they constantly play. And Republicans, we are terrible at taking care of our own. Democrats are much better at it, and they destroy ours, and we let it happen. Okay, so they're, they're trying to convince everybody that Nunez needs to step down and recuse himself. You've got Democratic House Intelligence Committee member Jackie Spire saying publicly that she just doesn't trust him. Do you trust Nunez? I don't trust him. I, I mean, I think he's a very nice man. I think he is, frankly, over his head. I think he used very poor judgment. And I think he has tainted the committee. I actually think that there is an effort underway to... Uh, 
to shut this committee down by the president. He does not want this committee's investigation to move forward. And if he can knock us off, then he's only got to find a way to knock off the Senate right. um, investigation. So this is what we're being told now, that, that the White House is trying to shut this down. And so Nunez has to step down. But does that who's going to be in charge? Oh, should we just have a Democrat then in charge? Well, no, that doesn't that's not going to work, is it? Do you think that they'll like the next Republican unless the next Republican on the House uh, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence is Lindsey Graham or John McCain? They're going to be unhappy. I can promise you that. And I know they're senators. So that's not going to happen. But I'm just saying they're not going to be happy. Meanwhile, you got another story that's getting a lot of lift from the media uh, that acting former acting attorney general Sally Yates, who just decided that she was going to be a uh, she was going to be part of the the nullification uh, with the nullification of executive order and chain of command within the DOJ. Yeah, just just don't do what the president says. We're the DOJ. Just just don't do it. And then she got fired. Uh, she's now we're, we're, we're being told that she was supposed to testify and then the White House prevented her from testifying. This is a story that I'm sure when we get clarification of it and it's nothing, it'll already have been for for a few days been reported that there's all these evil machinations behind the scenes going on with the White House and Trump. And, oh, it's also nefarious. And Spicer, during one of his uh, trademark press conferences, uh, had to deal with this one. I want to make a comment on a false report regarding former acting Attorney General Sally Yates. As a matter of fact, I'd like to walk you through the sequence of events just to make sure that everyone's abundantly clear on what happened. On March 14th, Chairman Nunez and Ranking Member Schiff invited Sally Yates to testify on March 28th. On March 23rd, Sally Yates' attorney sent a letter to the Department of Justice asking for their consent to testify without constraints. On March 24th, the Department of Justice responded that the President owns those privileges to discuss the communications they were requesting to talk about and referred them to the White House. Also on the 24th, Ms. Yates' attorney sent a letter to the White House counsel requesting that consent, specifically stating that if they did not receive a response by March 27th at 10 a.m., they would, quote, conclude that the White House does not assert executive privilege over these matters. The White House did not respond and took no action that prevented Ms. Yates from testifying. So I, I don't know. I mean, it I guess they're saying the White House is a bunch of liars, that Spicer's... Well, I know they say Trump's a liar all the time, but Spicer's lying. Everybody's lying. Or maybe they just didn't do what the press is saying they did here. This is from Washington Post. Trump administration sought to block Sally Yates from testifying to Congress on Russia. Yates is an obvious partisan, a leftist leave behind of the Obama administration who decided that she would get all kinds of attention, and I'm sure she's got a great book deal coming her way, and she'll be on the speaking circuit soon, and all kinds of wonderful things, because the left, as I always tell you, takes care of its people. We do not. Republicans do not take care of those who stand up and fight for our side. We're like, yeah, you know, you take your lumps. You're a Republican. Okay. Uh, but Yates uh, testifying to Congress would have involved perhaps, because she was acting attorney general, some communications that the executive branch uh, would say that she's not supposed to be, you know, she's there as counsel. This would be like saying, okay, uh, your former lawyer that you had attorney-client privilege with, we want to call your lawyer in to testify about something, and they're just, the lawyer's just going to waive privilege. Well, no, lawyer can't, lawyer can't do that. That's a problem. So there are some communities. That's where the issue is. But it's being reported as, oh, another scheme, another effort to block 
the truth from coming out. What is the truth, by the way? And I, I'm starting, I, I'm getting a little tired of the heat from some Republicans on this one, too, some of my fellow conservatives, not just in media, but in general. W- what are we going to find out? That Trump was like, yeah, I know what's the key to victory in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Let's have the Russians get into Podesta's email account and release some emails about uh, what exactly? I, I don't even, I'm being completely serious. I barely even remember what they were. And I was paying very close attention. And I did not care. It was a reasonably interesting reading, but who cares? And yet here we are. If you don't believe the conspiracy, the conspiracy for which there is no evidence, you're a bad person, you're a dumb person, you're an evil person. That's what the left says here. That's what the Democrat Party wants you to believe. Kind of reminds me of climate change. If you don't believe the massive consensus on this conspiracy, uh, you're a bad person. It's not just you're wrong. You're a bad person. Uh, I would not be okay with a traitor in the White House. If I had any reason to believe that were the case, I would be shouting it from the rooftops. I still have yet. I just can I get one piece of actual evidence instead of the insinuations that there's a cover up, the allegations that there are backroom deals happening, that Trump is orchestrating all by the, by the way, which is it? Is Trump a bumbling buffoon who can't get anything done? Or is he a highly skilled, manipulative liar that can make people bend to his will and Devin Nunez and others blow up their integrity and in their careers all to protect Trump? It, it, again, it, it can't be both, can it? So is Trump, uh, you know, an, an incapable, uh, you know, buffoon? Or is Trump... The most savvy political operator behind the scenes anyone's ever seen. I don't know. He's an ex-CIA officer who knows how to outsmart the enemies of liberty. But I do have a very particular set of skills. Buck Sexton with America Now. Team, your mission, should you choose to accept it, call the Freedom Hunt Operations Center, 888-900-BUCK. Make contact, unless you're under hostile surveillance, 888-900-2825. All right, and this time, I think we're for real. We got Vince Colonese on the phone, Daily Caller, Editor-in-Chief. Vince, great of you to join. Thank you for the effort to make sure that I can appear. I really appreciate that. <laughs> of course, man. Thank you for making the time for us. So <laughs> we got there's a, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, first, let's. I, I'm I'm picking this. This is great fun. It's a la carte political stories here. Um, let's do uh, the Gorsuch filibuster possibility. Dick Durbin, twenty seven. Please go. Do I have it right that you voted aye in the voice vote in two thousand six when Gorsuch was up for the federal appeals court? Good, good question, Willie, and I just don't remember, to be honest with you. On voice votes, you don't make much of a, right. a, a note on it, and it's possible. I don't believe there was a lot of controversy surrounding it. But let me tell you, he's moving from AAA ball to the big leagues here, and he's going to be the deciding vote on the future of the court for a long time, it but, appears. Yeah, the, so the, this is an important decision. The congressional record shows you did vote in favor. It was a unanimous vote. But is, has something changed in your <laughs> view of Gorsuch since 2006 when you did vote aye for him? No, but, you know, just take a look at what, what has happened in the past. When someone moves up to the Supreme Court level, different, important questions are asked. And- okay. And wait, Vince, before <laughs> I let you respond, we got then Senator Mike Lee with the other side of this saying, oh, Gorsuch is going to get confirmed or else. Play that, 28. 
Look, we're going to get Judge Gorsuch confirmed. This is a good judge. This is a judge who interprets the law based on what it says rather than what he might wish it might say. And we intend to get him confirmed. We will get him confirmed one way or another. It, one way or another means yes on the nuclear option if you have to go that way. It means we're going to get him confirmed. Nuclear. It means we're going to get him confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds. Uh, I actually think Berman has a point there. Sounds like I know why Mike Lee wouldn't want to say that. But I, I, as far as I'm concerned, Vince, they better go nuclear option if they try to filibuster Gorsuch. Because, I mean, you heard Durbin. He's just like, uh, well, you know, stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> it's amazing. By the way, it's like, you know, I don't realize that some some positions are important. Other positions are unimportant when you're confirming them in the Senate. Uh, apparently, there's some some standard that you know, Gorsuch didn't have to meet before. That it was just like, yeah, whatever, we'll just rubber stamp it. Um, yeah, I think it's important for us to sort of examine uh, what is possible in the Senate. Of course, the nuclear option is possible. And when it comes to what Democrats want, uh, they don't really ultimately want two things. One, they probably don't want Trump to have another go at picking a nominee. Gorsuch is about as agreeable of a pick as anybody could hope for if you're in the Democratic Party. And, and it doesn't like President Trump isn't going to go any further to the left uh, in this case. And the other thing is, like, remember, this is precedent setting. If you force the Republicans to take the nuclear option, that's the way it's going to be from now on. And that, with that runs a lot of risk, including potential retirements on the Supreme Court and even deaths. I mean, there's been a lot made of the fact that Democrats are, like, practically trying to, like, keep Ruth Bader Ginsburg alive at all costs. I mean, there's, like, very serious concern about the future of the court, and four to eight years of Trump could change it for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine. You know, the arguments. By the way, there was that. There was a little story. I guess we can get it in now. Where Chuck Schumer was at, I believe it was Setamezzo on the Upper East Side, which is like the most expensive cash-only Italian restaurant that I know of in New York. Uh, and and he got into an argument with somebody there that he knew. He yelled out in front of all the other diners. You know, you voted for Trump. Uh, you know, Chuck Schumer leading the charge against Gorsuch, it, it's so unconvincing. I mean, they, they've got it's amazing, really. They've got nothing again. They've got nothing on this guy other than he is a constitutional originalist and that bothers them. But that's not enough right. for them to stop the confirmation. So th they're just watching them. They voted unanimously for him in the federal bench before to say, by the way, that, you know, it's you're good enough for the federal bench lifetime appointment, but you're not good enough for the Supreme Court. What are they making that distinction based on? I mean, the guy who's been in the majority in the, with decisions a vast majority of the time. They've just it's completely the weak sauce. I have to say that's it. It is the weak sauce, Vince. Uh, right, and I like I love to think of Chuck Schumer like he's screaming at people at restaurants about who they voted for, as if he's like a liberal activist who has no other power but to yell at people. Like the guy's like he's like the most powerful person Democrat in this, and he is supposedly screaming at restaurant patrons about their vote. Pretty funny. But the Gorsuch thing, yeah, I think Democrats, you know, ultimately everyone's playing politics here. Um, you know, any signal, like to, to relate it to another issue, any signal where the White House can, is now saying that they'd like to work with Democrats in legislation, they're just not going to get it. Democrats stand to benefit financially from stonewall opposition to President Trump at all costs, even when the president or his nominees happen to fall in line with some of the things that they're thinking. All right. Now, tell me about this piece going back to immigration, which we spent the beginning of the show on as a topic here. Tell me about this piece. Uh, a mass state rep was caught tipping off illegal immigrants to imminent ICE raids. This is up on the DailyCaller.com. What's going on here, Vince? Yes. Well, the last time I ducked into this story, it's pretty amazing. 
this Massachusetts state representative, Michelle Du Bois, uh, she started posting on her own Facebook page warning people in her community that an ICE raid, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, would be coming today uh, to the Brockton area of Massachusetts. And she's like basically trying to help people avoid federal law enforcement by urging them to know that this rate, these raids are coming. So she was giving people advice on how to handle it. Don't answer your door. If you don't know what it is, don't open your door. I'm asking you to be careful. And essentially, you know, again, asking people to avoid law enforcement and tipping them off that they're coming. Well, once it became – once it was brought to the attention of places like The Daily Caller, she since released a statement, and it's pretty hilarious. She basically has decided to walk this back. She's received a lot of criticism inside of her own state. Um, she's kind of walked this back a bit. Not, you know, She's sticking by the advice, but what she's saying is this wasn't insider info that I had. This was a rumor that was getting around my community, and I just helped propagate it because I figured if everyone's already talking about this, I'll, I might as well talk about this. And in fact, she claims somewhat befuddlingly that by declaring that ICE intended to make raids in her community and, and, see, and seek out undocumented or illegal immigrants, that she was actually trying to help ICE out, that by alerting them to the fact that this rumor was well known, that they might actually reschedule the day, the, the, the day that they'd be doing the raids. I, I must admit <laughs> that I, I'm not an expert on this area of the law or technically any, any area of the law. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but I think that – well, I did work for, in law enforcement for a little while, so I guess there's that. Uh, but I think that obstruction is a charge that uh, people might start to, to at least talk about when you have somebody who's an official – uh, representative of the state who's perhaps using knowledge of an impending federal law enforcement raid, uh, they do not take that very well. Uh, and under other circumstances, I know that would be a big problem, but with the politics of... Has anyone raised that, by the way, that maybe she actually transgressed the law, or am I just am I the first one that you've heard that from? Well, somebody must have, because for her to begin pushing the fact that this was based on nothing but just hearing rumors suggests that somebody with a law degree actually talked to her. Like, hey, you need to be a little more careful about these dec- about, about what you're saying on your Facebook page as a public official, an elected official, literally telling telling people that they need to be um, hiding from federal law enforcement officers. That's not a good look. So she ended up saying, "Yeah, I mean, because if she had if she had knowledge of this because of her official position, then at least theoretically she could be brought up on official misconduct charges, which I know at the NYPD, for example, where I used to work, official misconduct can have criminal sanctions." Uh, and also obstruction might. In it. But anyway, I'm, uh, now I'm putting on now I'm pretending like I'm a guy on law and order and, and I am not. So who knows? Uh, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about uh, Nunez for a second here. Um, I like the Spicer comment earlier today, by the way, about Russian dressing. I just want to play that for everybody. This is Sean Spicer at the press conference on Russian salad dressing. Twenty two, please. You've got Russia. If the president puts Russian salad dressing on his salad tonight, somehow that's a Russian connection. At some point, report the facts. The facts are that every single person who has been briefed on this subject has come away with the same conclusion. Republican, Democrat, and every single person who has been briefed on this situation with respect to the, the situation with Russia, Republican, Democrat, Obama appointee, career, have all come to the same conclusion. At some point, April, you're going to have to take no for an answer with respect to whether or not there was collusion. Okay. Uh, by the way, you can just imagine Melissa McCarthy on SNL with like giant things of Russian dressing. Now, I mean, I, you know, this is uh, clearly this is going to become a thing. I would I like think. think of, I like to think of Sean Spicer as President Trump's mood ring. Like whatever mood he's in, Sean is like directly reflecting it in the press briefing. Yeah, yeah, he's he's certainly he's certainly an interesting character. That Spicer. Uh, but on the Russia stuff, 
Uh, I've even I've seen some conservatives saying that Nunez should recuse himself. I don't understand why. Uh, I mean, I, I've heard some of the explanations, but I don't buy them. He won't reveal his source. Okay, well, he's not required to reveal his source. And if I guess they're insinuating to think he just completely made all that stuff up and is a liar. Why would he do that for Trump? I, I don't know. H- help me out here a little bit. W- what's the case as you see it for recuse or to recuse or not to recuse? Well, I think Republicans, the, the few that have actually joined any kind of call for recusal, I think Walter Jones in North Carolina is among them now, um, have, you know, I think are doing it on the basis of, you know, and Walter Jones, as far as I know, is not one to typically be pressured by conventional wisdom, but it kind of seems like anybody who is jumping on board on that on that notion is being pressured by conventional wisdom. Yes, he, he broke some of the decorum of the way that you handle things uh, in the House, um, and, and he seemed regretful a little bit the following day when he when he sort of openly admitted that he should have handled things in a different order instead of just rushing to the White House with information that he seemed to have obtained. Um, and But just the fact that the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee was, was secured intelligence uh, and then disseminated it to the public in the, the way that he chose to do doesn't seem like it's enough ultimately to say that he's tipping the scales of the investigation. And let's let's like rip the let's rip all of the the garbage off of all of this, these conversations. Every person who's under investigation by the House or Senate, the parties always play politics. Yeah, this is what I was saying before. They literally have an R or a D next to their name on TV. We all know what's going on. Yes, and they always they always lean more heavily into the opposition party and they always put their punches on people within the same party. It's just a fact of the House and the Senate, and everyone starts running around with their heads cut off when anyone shows, like, you know, something that they think is, is uh, uh, re- you know, reprehensible. The reality is they're always doing this, and I think Nunes just sort of got over his skis a, a bit too much, and he regrets some of his actions, but I don't think that that's grounds yet for recusal. But, you know, well, I'm just here to observe it and tell you, tell you what happened, but so far to me, it doesn't seem like he needs to bow to that pressure. What can you tell me about uh, your the, the Sally Yates, uh, act, former acting AG before she was fired, Sally Yates, saying uh, that or, – or the, the reports that she was supposed to testify and not testifying and Nunez moved to hearing. And do we have – can we get to the bottom of this? Your folks, the Daily only, Caller, what can you tell me? Only the, what, the, what the White House is basically claiming, which is that this is uh, – they're claiming that the report on this, the Washington Post report, was 100 percent false, um, that they were not trying to stop Sally Yates at all from testifying on what she knew. The only thing that seems to have been their holdup is that anything that they consider to be privileged communications within the White House, that they, they, would, they needed Sally Yates to seek approval – to share specifics about conversations in the White House because they consider to have the, to consider those conversations to be subject to executive privilege. Um, so again, the White House's position. Right. No, she was she was the Attorney General. She was like the White House's lawyer. The White House's position is there's some privilege that attaches to us talking to you as our lawyer. Right, and that that we were not going to stop her at all from testifying. Uh, and instead, we just wanted a little bit of oversight about the specifics of what she was going to share. But I assume that they could they could figure this out really quickly. Let's just get Sally Yates on TV and, and get her on the record officially and see if, if she really, you know, if she's going to stand up to that claim. You know, and see, what yeah. I think happens here, Vince, and it happens time and again, is a, a report comes out, makes the administration look as bad as it can, put it in the most negative light possible, whether it's the Washington Post or one of these other papers. And then when we get clarity and it's actually not a big deal, it's just not a story anymore. Nobody cares. And the Trump administration is is really under the impression, I believe, 
that a lot of the Obama holdovers that continue to stay within the system are responsible for the very construction that you're talking about, that there are people who are held, like being held over in these positions throughout the government who are literally leaking uh, uh, to press outlets and various things to sort of construct their own version of what's going on, even going so far the Free Beacon reported as having a hand in trying to manipulate the language inside of Trump executive orders before they were released, and the White House having to furiously go back and edit them to say things like radical Islamic terrorism instead of things like countering violent extremism. Um, it's, it's, just, it's wild that there's this much dysfunction going on. But again, the White House blames Obama holdovers for the problem. Countering violent extremism is one of the most Orwellian euphemisms that I, I mean, it's incredible that, that anybody yeah. says that that's a thing that we that, that that's really the issue. That's the mission. Let's counter violent extremism. Right. It's those Christian terrorists that are driving everybody crazy. Yeah. Well, that's like I remember they were thinking about ways to come up with, you know, overseas contingency operations against violent individuals with an ideology that may conflict with our own. It's like, well, that doesn't make a good acronym, guys. You got to do better than that. Uh, all right, Vince, uh, Vince Colonese, everybody, Daily Caller, Editor-in-Chief. He is the DC Vince on Twitter. And check out his latest and all of his uh, wonderful writers at dailycaller.com. Vince, thank you for calling. Thanks so much, Bob. Now they're reporting on the possibility of a government shutdown battle okay so what at the end of next month we they're going to need to extend the uh raise the debt ceiling and here's what fox news is reporting we should not take things for granted especially what happened uh last week um that's representative gop rep tom cole the last thing we need is a self-inflicted crisis there frankly isn't much time uh look i i just i don't think this is going to happen uh, if you what we've seen so far is that there are, if anything, there are Republicans who understand that it's in their interest sometimes to pretend to be uh, sober, uh, sober-minded, limited government, small government conservatives, and then when it comes time to vote on stuff, they're like, "Well, I mean, you know, there's important stuff for my district. I can't, you know, can't vote for this. Never get reelected." So I think what you'll see is a lot of bluster around this, and you'll see speeches about the uh, the impending financial doom that will come if we keep spending ourselves into oblivion, and there's going to be all this talk, and they're going to raise the debt limit. Just the same way that we've decided recently, or I shouldn't say decided, but it's it's been a reality that you have not been hearing the Republican Party talk about dealing with entitlement spending, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, any of that. That's off the table now. And for a little while, I could understand it, meaning that to beat Hillary in the election, I think even a lot of conservatives figured that a tactical silence on that for a while, though you can argue that that's not a good thing and it's not a particularly forthright way to go, but a tactical silence on entitlements in order to get in power and then make the case from a position of power that we must deal with the debt, we must handle these long-term problems in a serious fashion. Okay, maybe. But look what happened with Obamacare. The, the real story of the Obamacare repeal and replace fiasco that we've seen so far is that there have been Republicans who, or there were Republicans, there still are Republicans, who want to keep some parts of Obamacare in place. 
in essence, the parts of Obamacare that are either welfare or subsidy, meaning Medicaid expansion, welfare, or subsidy, the tax credits. You know, tax credits is a fancy way of saying taxpayers are going to give people money. So this is this is the the fundamental problem, and with health care, it it shattered because of that, because people don't want to really enact the responsible but sometimes painful policies they say they do. The members of the House that and Senate that say they do aren't really being honest. So the debt the, the debt ceiling they're they're not they're not going to have a government shutdown over this. No, they might talk about it, and we'll all talk about it. Sure. But I don't see it happening, not one bit. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are cold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Climate change. Oh, my. Climate change executive orders. That were the only legacy of President Obama's environmentalist uh, approach during his time in office. The only thing that remains really on the uh, climate change uh, ledger from the Obama administration were the executive orders, executive actions. Um, And today, Donald Trump signed a... Well, an unwinding, an undoing of the Obama climate change policies. Now, a few things to note here. First of all, the the outrage that this generates is almost, it should be comical, except that these people, I think, really do believe this. They don't have any facts to back it up. They don't have any knowledge they're basing this on. Um, but their their commentary is so unhinged from reality that one would have to think uh, that they at least believe part of it. They believe some of it. This is not just a rhetorical uh, a rhetorical device where they overstate dramatically what's happening so that they can change hearts and minds. Uh, a couple of examples of this from today. Uh, you have Michael Moore. I know a lot of you are like, boo. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, Michael Moore, who... Granted, is is a filmmaker who has made, I don't know, a, a fortune, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions at this point, who knows, uh, of dollars, certainly tens of millions of dollars, making very left-wing documentaries, which are just, a documentary is supposed to show you the truth of something. That's what we thought documentaries were. Documentaries, because of the progressive left in this country, have become long-form video editorials. That's all they are. You know, it's if Slate.com made a movie, it would be this documentary. Or, you know, if if Talking Points Memo or the Huffington Post collaborated on a film script, it would be, and they call it a documentary. Uh, that's overwhelmingly what you see in the documentary space. But I digress. Michael Moore was invited. I think he had a place of honor at uh, either a Democrat State of the Union address under Obama. or He's certainly been seated, literally seated in places of prominence among Democrats, elected Democrats in the past, and has quite a following and all the rest of it. I will at least say this for him. He does put himself occasionally in a position where he goes into hostile territory on TV to defend his positions, unlike a lot of even... I mean, he. I think Michael Moore's wild... His ideology is destructive and he's dishonest in a lot of what he does, but uh, a lot of Democrats won't even 
will never face the heat. I mean, Michael Moore went on O'Reilly's show some years ago. Um, anyway, he tweeted out today. Uh, and you're like, Buck, why are you even talking about this guy? Because people believe him. Because he's gonna, he got 4,000 retweets when I just saw this now of, this is the quote, Michael Moore, on the climate change. Remember, these are executive orders that President Obama put in place, I think in the second part, in, in, certainly in the second term, and even the second half of the second term of his presidency. And if you take these leftist Democrats at their word, the, the Obama, saved, Obama saved the world with his executive orders. Because without those executive orders, this is not an exaggeration, we are all going to die. Well, keep in mind, we are all going to die, not to be morbid and, and weird and existential here on the show. But I mean, you know, the, the planet, meaning even future generations will cease to exist at some point because the planet is going to be so overheated and global warming, climate change, climate disruption, all the different stuff they say. Here's, <laughs> I keep getting... Distracted from Moore's tweet. Here's the tweet. Historians in the near future will mark today, March 28th, 2017, as the day the extinction of human life on Earth began, thanks to Donald Trump. Ah, so here we have a return to Trump is at least Hitler-esque in that he is involved in the mass extermination of, of the planet. According to Michael Moore here, he is killing all life on them, not just human being, not just human life, really. I mean, all life, I guess there'll be some things that can exist in this future world. But uh, this is this is something that should be laughed at. This is something that should be preposterous to any normal, rational person. And yet he this is being retweeted, I promise you, not by people that are retweeting it ironically. They think that. Michael Moore's commentary here that historians will mark this as the day extinction began thanks to Trump, that Trump is responsible for the extinction of the human race because of this executive order that, by the way, deals with like some coal power plants, some federal management or federal regulation of wetlands that are a part of a part of a tributary that's a part of a river. I mean, you know, a pond in your backyard is now a wetland. A wetland's a fancy word for a swamp. I mean, this stuff is just, you go around in circles on this, and you think, how does anybody take this seriously? Well, of course, this, there, there are serious effects of it. Serious for effects, effects for people who lose their jobs, serious effects on the economy. This is not just something that um, we can take lightly in that sense. But you know, Michael Moore saying this, and it, as if that's not enough. And, and this is just a quick scan of the issue before I came on here. Uh, Van Jones, a former CNN colleague of mine. I'm former. He's still there, to be sure. They're, they like him very much at CNN. Uh, that real Donald Trump, this was his tweet from his official account, also retweeted a few thousand times. Real Donald Trump just signed a death warrant for planet Earth, erased climate protections that were already too weak, support green for all. A... Uh, Trump is when I when I say things like like the left and the Democrats believe that Trump is destroying the planet here. I am not exaggerating. That is just that is a direct in some cases quotation, uh, but that is a, a direct relay of their analysis. Uh, they believe that by signing some executive orders, keep in mind these were only put into place by Obama, but they create this sense of false urgency by suggesting that we are on this pathway 
to complete climate annihilation until Obama stepped in and saved us all. Couldn't get the Congress to go along on this. And, of course, because then there, there might be individual consequences for certain people, for elected officials in different states, whether senators or congressmen, or all the rest of it. Trump was at the, this is what the New, the New York Times write-up of this, flanked by coal miners at a ceremony at the Environmental Protection Agency, Mr. Trump signed a short document titled The Energy Independence Executive Order, directing the agency to start the legal process of withdrawing and rewriting the Clean Power Plan, the centerpiece of Mr. Obama's policies to fight global warming. Uh, So, they also say that the order takes aim at a suite of narrower but significant Obama-era climate and environmental policies, including lifting a short-term ban on new coal mining on public lands. When you read what these executive orders are, uh, you go into the specifics of them. Uh, you look at this. You say to yourself, "How can this? E- how can this be frightening to anyone? How can any person see this and think to himself or herself, oh, my gosh, what has Donald Trump done?' But that's not just that's not a fringe belief. That is the belief of the Democrat Party. It's the belief of the Obama administration. I'm sure it's the belief of a lot of officials at the EPA. And I look at this, and all I can think to myself is, what are the Democrats thinking? They are just losing it. I mean, this is going off into some crazy land. And then you get to the bottom of the Times write-up, and you see, oh, that's where this also all ties in. You see the climate, uh, the Paris Agreement, the climate agreement in Paris, uh, referred to as the Paris Agreement, means that the U.S. has to do things that are even more onerous uh, and go at even, at, to even greater lengths than what Obama put in place via executive order. And by the way, this executive order was as a power grab by the executive branch. The, uh, the courts have decided, in my opinion, wrongly that the EPA can regulate CO2 as a pollutant uh, that moves from one state to another. I, I, the analysis and decisions that have been made by the courts on this issue that gives the EPA so much more authority than it should have are just maddening. They really are. But the Paris Agreement, which is what really gets a lot of the climate change crowd all all fired up, uh, it would require more from us than even Obama's executive orders would have put in place. And so now we look at this and we say, okay, so we're we're going to fall short of this Paris Climate Agreement who cares? I don't care. And I suppose the answer to that, and I don't think you care, I suppose the answer to this is that uh, we must want the extinction of human life because that's what the other side is claiming, that we just, we don't, that I don't care. I'm so in the pocket of, by the way, I would, you know, some big oil money sounds great, you know, big oil, hey, I'm here. Uh, but no, I mean, it's crazy. I'm so in the pocket of big oil, even though I don't get any big oil money or anything like that. Or I'm so brainwashed by by what or by whom that I don't care about the future generations of humanity that will, as they say here, be extinct. This is crazy. It's and by the way, they they haven't read the people that are pushing this haven't read the Paris Climate Agreement. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not scientists, although they'll talk to you about all oh, scientists all say scientists all say scientists. The, the scientists that I respect. And the scientists that I want to hear from 
don't spend a lot of time going on cable TV shouting about how they're scientists. Real scientists usually have specific areas they are researching that are full of data that can be replicated, data that can be shared, experiments that you can see the outcome of, and they're trying to do things to benefit mankind and to add to our body of knowledge, not to just constantly find ways to look at the data once again to justify climate change hysteria, uh, which, wh why do I not believe in this? Oh, because I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just know that when people are lying to me, there's a problem, and people lie on climate change all the time. It reminds me of a memoir uh, written by a member of the Italian Here's a little history diversion for a second. Remember the Italian Communist Party, which uh, was uh, under fascism, under under the, the rise of fascism in, in Italy, was often looking to the Communist International, the common turn for short, in Moscow and the Soviet Union uh, for advice and guidance. The International Communist uh, Movement would meet. And one of the Italian communists wrote in a memoir um, that he remembered going there at one point to the Comintern, and they were all supposed to denounce, and Stalin was there, and a lot of the figures from Soviet history that would be familiar to you, um, that's, that they all had to denounce a Trotskyite paper uh, that had to do with communism in China. Uh, and they, they had to denounce this. Uh, and the Italian communists said, uh, because Trotsky, of course, was a, um, a, a, a faction, a splinter faction of, of Marxism and, and, of course, ended up uh, you know, killed by the communists, by Stalin. Um, but they said that they had to all decry this paper on, written by a, a Trotskyite on communism. I think it might even be Trotsky himself on, on China and communism in China. And the Italian communist had the temerity to say, have any of you seen this paper? And th that was howls of indignation. How dare you? Don't you understand what's at stake here? Global communism is at stake. Don't you understand that this is about the workers' paradise that we're going to create and that we will all be slaves and... We will all be sub uh, subject to the horrible, rapacious capitalist swine and their, you know, forced servitude on all of us if we don't win this workers' revolution. Uh, but can I just see the paper that I'm supposed to denounce, that I'm supposed to raise my hand and officially denounce? Can I see it? Well, no, you cannot. Have, have any of you, have any of you that are denouncing this paper written, uh, written by a splinter faction— uh, of the Communist Party that you're now... No, the answer was no. That they Only the Soviets were allowed to see it, and only really the top Soviets, Stalin and a few of his senior-most officials. But you see, for those who are true believers, it's not about the facts. It's not about the argument. It's about you throwing in your lot with them, you lending your voice to their cause without knowledge without reason without questioning just do it i know we're talking about communism then but you look at the global environmentalist movement it has the same approach to dissenters it has the same approach to those who are deviationists those who deviate from the official party line on this 
Notice how they don't want to explain. They don't want to convert you. They want to hunt down heretics. They want to find people that disagree and punish them as an example to the others. Not to bring them along, to punish them. Just like communism in the Soviet Union, which eventually turned on itself, and then you had the purges and all the rest of it. Uh, but that's... there. I, I remember reading this this memoir and thinking to myself, okay, so you're to denounce... To be a, good, a communist in good standing, you are to denounce a paper on communism written by a fellow communist that you are not allowed to see, and you are to be shouted down for even bringing it up. Same thing with climate change data. You, you better sign on for the Paris Climate Accord without knowing any of the data that these scientists are relying on and without being able to ask any questions. Or else the world's going to go extinct. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, a few more thoughts on the... Because this is... I know to some of you, you're like, eh, climate change. Come on, Buck. We all know, right? Who cares? But for one thing, this matters a lot to the left. In fact, I think this is one of these issues where you see it matters much more to them, or at least there's much more of an emotional attachment on the left than there is on the right on climate change issues, to be sure. We look at this in a very dollars and cents straightforward way. What's the cost? What's the benefit? What's the science? What's the rationale? What's the evidence? What's the evidence? And people say, Buck, you're not a scientist. Well, the fact that they changed the name of the movement from global warming to climate change tells me something, because if they can't tell you that it's warming, they can't tell you much of anything, can they? Uh, and the models they use for this to project climate in the future have been wrong time and again. You go back into the 70s, and there's on the cover of Time magazine, the coming ice age. All the scientists say the coming ice age. The ice age did not come, as you are, so, as you are all quite aware, I am sure. Uh, so here we are. Uh, but now with the removal of the Obama climate legacy, which, well, I mean, wasn't really much of a legacy, was it? A real legacy would be convincing the Congress— as representatives of the American people to take action on the issue. of, But this is just Obama. Really, it was presidential grandstanding. And I'm going to do this. Well, if I shouldn't say that because, in fairness, if Hillary had won, then they'd be further and further down this pathway. And some of this is going to be difficult to unravel. It's stuck, it's stuck in the courts. So it's not as simple as just snap the fingers and this is, this is over with. But now you're seeing all this reporting about how, well, you know, coal— even because this is a lot of this is to get coal worker uh, coal miners back to work, and Trump had coal uh, miners with him at the EPA when he signed this. So now you're seeing all these news outlets that are, oh, coal is only, um, what's the jobs number? I was trying to find this right in the break. It's not I mean, look, it's tens of thousands of of coal jobs in this country. Yeah, coal companies employed sixty five thousand nine hundred seventy one miners in 2015. Okay, so this might have some effect on that. Industry. Remember, Obama, there was a war on coal. Obama and, and the Democrats wanted to shut down the coal industry as fast as possible. And now we're being told, well, coal isn't really that important. There's other technologies. And these aren't that, it's not that many jobs this will help. Okay. Well, once again, it can't be both ways, liberal media, can it? If coal was going out the door anyway, why do we need these executive orders to shut it down even faster? Are we really going to believe it's that imminent? It's been around for. Well, we've been using coal for 150 years or so, 150 plus years. 
in this manner and in part as part of the industrial revolution and beyond and now we have to shut it down really quickly please also i think it matters a lot to the people who hundreds maybe in the low thousands i don't know but who have their jobs saved by this uh it just shows how disconnected the obama administration and of course much of the mainstream media is from the very average americans the day-to-day americans that they pretend to care so much about helping but you know only a few thousand of them might have lost their jobs so who cares they say well we care welcome back to the freedom hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots buck sexton kicks it off we got a fellow patriot on the line right now emily zanotti the political editor at heat street she is en fuego what's going on emily not a whole lot what's going on with you uh, not much. Give us the hotness from Heat Street. What is going on here? Let's talk first about Democrats don't have a sense of humor. Subtext. No. Uh, Mnuchin is asked about what movie he would take his kids to. He makes a... I'll let you walk us through this one. But Democrats don't have a sense of humor. Just remember that, everybody. Go ahead, Emily. Yeah, that's kind of like an evergreen thing. Like, they don't, they don't have a sense of humor. And this is a prime example of that. They've been left out of the loop all week on everything. And so Steve Mnuchin, who is the Treasury Secretary, decided to make a joke about the Lego Batman movie. He used to be a big-time Hollywood producer, and he fronted the money for the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie. And he decided to make a joke in an interview saying, please take your kids to see the Lego Batman movie. Well, it turns out that Senator Ron Wyden heard that, decided it wasn't a joke, and filed a complaint with the Office of Government Ethics to have Steve Mnuchin investigated for a conflict of interest because Ron Wyden said that he was unfairly promoting the Lego Batman movie. I've heard Lego Batman is good. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. I've heard it is actually the best Batman movie to come out in the last couple of years. I definitely believe that. I saw the Batman versus Superman thing, which first of all had Ben Affleck, which is really strikes one, right. two, and three. Uh, but it was also just a horrible pile of unwatchable. I can't even see those movies. I just I see the trailer and I'm like I, I can't even. But you know it. I I actually liked uh, I, I like I like the the first Iron Man movie. The second one was kind of headache inducing, yeah. but I like the first one. I mean, so I'm 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 down with the superhero stuff. I like it yeah. when it's good, but when it's just this ponderous mess of cliches and CGI, I I just I don't like it. Okay, but let's. I am not a movie critic. I just play one on radio. Let's move <laughs> on to. Uh, Oh, tell me about Canadian, because I'm probably going to talk about a Canadian protest having to do with the transgender ban tomorrow, or the transgender pronoun ban. Oh, yeah, that's a thing, everybody. Keep a, put a pin in that for tomorrow. But tell me first about, or instead, about the Canadian university that is setting up booths where men can confess sins of masculinity. Eh? Yes. So the University of Regina has decided that they're going to have a masculinity elimination week So no more being a dude. You can no longer be a guy. They don't want you to be out there telling people that that you're strong and masculine. So they've set these booths up across the campus. And starting next week, you can go to the booth just like you would if you were going to confession in church. You can go to the booth and confess to somebody inside the booth all of the sins of masculinity, all of the things you've done to uh, promote being a dude. And it's not just men who can do this. Women can go to these booths and confess that they, like, made a sandwich for a guy or something. But it's just, like, 
made gender normative stereotypes happen. But can I can I confess? I want to confess a little uh, sin of masculine, a couple sins of masculinity right now. When my girlfriend's not around, Emily, I I wear sweatpants like all the time, and I wear the same sweatpants for like five days in a row. I drink milk out of the carton, not by accident, not not because I'm lazy, because I think it tastes better that way. Oh, also, chicken nuggets three times a day, no problem with that. Microwave them; they are delicious. And also, I don't care how many times I've seen daredevil on netflix if i want to watch it for the fifth time i'm going to watch it for the fifth fifth time hashtag mansplain hashtag bucksplain hashtag patriarchy that sounds great actually i've made dinner like the last three nights in a row i do things around the house i'm definitely a domestic person so i feel like i've definitely contributed to the patriarchy this week yeah aren't you you're you're a married cisgender conservative female that's like you're almost as bad as me I'm a total traitor to my gender. It's pro- I'm probably worse than you are because I am reinforcing all of these gender normative stereotypes and therefore just betraying my gender at every turn. Are you are you good at baking, by the way? I'm I'm excellent at breakfast. I'll just say that I make fan- I make fantastic scrambled eggs. Everybody listening at home should know that. In fact, one day I may even do a scrambled egg tutorial on Facebook Live. That would be amazing. I'm actually terrible at breakfast, but I'm pretty good at baking. Okay. Well, see, we just had our we just confessed our sins of well, I guess not necessarily <laughs> masculinity, but but gen our gender normative sins maybe or the the matriarchy, the patriarchy, I don't know. You tell me. All right, more on Donald Trump. He has inspired a run on underground doomsday shelters. This is a piece up on Heath Street. Tell me about it. Yeah, so just You know, about a year ago, Democrats were like, we need to ban all guns. We don't understand this doomsday prepper movement. It doesn't make any sense to us. But now it turns out that since Donald Trump's inauguration, uh, left-leaning people across the country have been investing in all sorts of post-apocalyptic preparation items. So everything from guns and ammunition to sustainable food that can stick around for a couple of years underground— And they're also buying these amazing underground bunkers just in case Donald Trump gets us into a nuclear war. And they're meant to sustain basically anything. You put them underground and you can live in there for a couple of decades and then come up and see if the zombies are still around. And they're definitely selling like hotcakes. I mean, these things are probably, I assume, pretty cozy. But in New York City, that square footage is going to run you like five or six K probably. So, hey, you know, it all all depends on. Even if it's underground, it all depends on on where you are. What would be in the Zanotti doomsday shelter, if I may ask? What 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 are what are some key items other than food? You can tell me I what kind def- of food. Yeah, I was I would definitely have to have a supply of lasagna, definitely some lip gloss. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to think about this. Actually, what would I put in my doomsday shelter? Yeah, I I would just need dark chocolate, a lot of milk, uh, and I'm trying to think of other things that. Uh, old old books, wine. books written books written about obscure historical battles that you can't usually find anywhere unless you are at one of those bookstores that has the things that they're giving out on the street for like a dollar. Um, <laughs> think things I, I need a lot of those. You know, the older and dustier the jacket cover, the more into it I get with the book. You know, the more excited I am. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to have some of those. And I'm and I'm not gonna lie. I mean, if Netflix goes down, I don't even know if I want to survive the the apocalyptic event. You know, if Netflix is gone and I can't just tune into whatever digital shows I want. Is it really worth going on at that point, Emily? I don't know. I feel like if the 
internet is gone, the zombies may as well just bite me first because I don't want to live. Yeah, it's 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 going to be rough stuff. So anyway, doomsday shelter that would be an that's an interesting. I'll have to look and see what some of these look like. I have a feeling that there's. Uh, given that this is now a leftist uh, situation, there must be people that have, I don't know, lots of uh, ironic facial hair care products, you know, for like your right. the, for like the twirling mustaches and, and yeah, super, super tight jeans. You, you got to have a machine to make macchiatos, lattes, cortados, right. flat whites. I know too much about overpriced coffee. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Um, we have... A uh, study about Donald, more Donald Trump studies. We've talked about masculinity. Now let's talk about sexism. Study Donald Trump's win made men more aggressive and sexist. Also on HeatStreet.com. Emily, explain. Yeah, so the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, which is where Donald Trump actually graduated from, did this study that extended over the election. So they started it back in August, and they did it up until December. And they say that as of Donald Trump's election, men had a latent sexism before Donald Trump's election. And then after his election, it moved into an aggressive sexism. So now men are meaner or something because Donald Trump is president. What's the what's the focus group here? How do they do this exactly? I'm confused. They actually talked to University of Pennsylvania Wharton alumni they gave them each $20 and paired them up, and the two had to split the $20 some way. They had to negotiate between them on who would get more of the 20 bucks. And so before Donald Trump's election, people were very nice and split it evenly. After Donald Trump's election, the men were just taking the money and running. Hmm. That's <laughs> it. This doesn't seem like the most scientific experiment ever. No, 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 it's not really. Yeah, it doesn't seem doesn't seem like this would withstand a rigorous application of the scientific method. But, you know, hashtag climate change, hashtag science. It is whatever we say it right. is. OK, cool. We're the, we're the party of Good, science. Yeah, 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 exactly. Good talk on that. So uh, latest version of popular AP Stylebook makes accommodations for genderless people. Ooh, what are yeah. these accommodations like? So now, as a journalist, the Associated Press is the stylebook that tells me exactly what I should be writing and how I should be writing it. And now they're saying that I can use the terms they and them, which typically would be used to plural. refer to plural, yeah, uh, can be used to refer to people who do not fit in the gender binary. So if they want to be referred to as some sort of genderless pronoun, as a journalist, I can now use they and them to mean a singular person who okay. has no gender. That that is obviously uh, that is obviously a. a... Yet again, an, another concession to this agenda, and the, yeah. it, that does have very real political ramifications. But I, I think I may blow some minds right now when I say that it really should be amantai instead of arantai. Someone explain Ooh. that one to me. Right? I don't know that one. We're going to have to ask. They had this big copy editors meeting last week, but we can send them an email and see if I they mean, I, I know that this is wrong. I don't need people to send me buck. Amantai <laughs> isn't a thing. I know that, but I'm saying, shouldn't Amantai be a thing? I am Buck Sexton. Am I not? Amantai? Am I not? Instead, it's I am Buck Sexton. Aren't I? Very weird. Makes no sense. I'm a logical kind of guy. In the Freedom Hut, we're, we're all, we keep it on the straight and narrow. You 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 admit idea. that there is no argument against my position right now, Zanati. Just concede I, the point. I can't feel 
like I have one for you. I'm sure like we'll put it out on social media and somebody will have a very detailed explanation. Or just call yeah, me that's idiot. probably true. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get smacked down by a grammarian <laughs> on Facebook tonight. Like you can't believe I'm gonna get you know somebody who really actually knows, you know, uh, pa- you know, past pluperfect and and uh, uh, all all the dangling How participles and all all that stuff. I, I don't. I went to a Catholic school. We did like two days on that. And they're like, please make it stop. Let's go back to anything other than this. Uh, and we had wait, there was one more. Oh yeah, Devin Nunez getting down to some of the news of the day here for a moment, yes. if I may. Um, Devin Nunez canceled this uh, intelligence committee hearing. People are saying that, oh, well, it's because, you know, Russia, you know, hashtag Russia. Uh, Why did do we know why he canceled this meeting? Have you have you heard anything about this? What, What are the folks at Heat Street saying? So we have two theories on why he canceled the meeting. One is that it's just become too much. The Democrats have decided to go all over television, say that they can't control the meeting, that they've been left out of briefings that they have no idea where the source material is coming from. And so Nunez has closed off the briefings until they can get everything back together and start to organize stuff and get people testifying. The other theory is that the White House has asked that Sally Yates, the former acting attorney general who got fired by Trump just a couple of weeks ago, that she not be allowed to testify. She was the one that was involved with Mike Flynn, who may have caught him in some sort of dragnet. So the White House has been a little bit iffy on Sally Yates just testifying on public television on C-SPAN. So we might be waiting until there can be a better organization or a closed-door meeting so that Sally Yates can testify openly in front of the committee. Hmm. Do you think there's are are you concerned about the propriety of Nunez continuing as House? Uh, let's just say we say Hipsy H uh, House Permit blah blah Hipsy as yeah. Hipsy Chairman. You know, I am a little concerned. He has had a couple of weird things that he said over the last couple of days about meeting at the White House after hours with security officials and intelligence officials, and he's not able to produce a lot of paperwork for this. So. I think he needs to have a meeting with the House leadership and figure it out there rather than outside in the media. I, I will say this, and she was in, I want I want the I want honest Emily Zanotti always, and and everyone in the Freedom Hut appreciates that and expects that too. I will say that if I were Nunez, I would be I would be moving heaven and earth to at least get somebody else on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence yeah. to be able to see the documents that he was referencing. Because then I think that puts a lot of this to rest. And why, as somebody who used to have a top-secret clearance, I'm sitting around thinking, why isn't he or hasn't he done that? Maybe he is. I don't know. But if that doesn't happen soon, I think there are some fair questions to raise. Like, what the heck is going on? He has actually been very weird about this whole thing this week. He won't speak to media. He won't say anything about it. He won't prove that he has this information in hand. And so it's really hard for us to make a determination on whether he should stay or go because we don't have a lot of information. And I would hope that he would be able to produce that here in the next couple of days and put this to rest. But I'm not really sure he's going to be able to. It sounds like he's backing off a lot of his claims right now. Mm. Well, we'll keep an eye. I, I've got some conservatives, even some conservatives that I like a lot, who are saying he should recuse himself. And I'm like, no makes me so sad because now we have to fight uh emily zanotti political (laughs) editor at heat street the one and only emily zanotti thank you so much for joining thanks a lot talk to you soon so team buck if you 
uh, would please download the show today on iTunes. Actually, subscribe. Even better, go on iTunes. Uh, type in Buck Sexton with America Now. Uh, you click search, and then it'll pop up, and then you just click subscribe, and then the whole show will pop into your inbox or your iPod, or your uh, podcast list uh, every day we do a show, which is Monday through Friday. So if you missed any part of the show or if you want to share some of the show, it's a great way to do it. Also on the iHeart radio app you can always listen uh always listen live and i hope you do so um and you can listen on demand on iHeartRadio. so sometimes i like to give you a little glimpse of what it is like being uh a right-wing dude here in nyc i was reading uh this piece i wanted to talk to you about this before it happened maybe about a week ago um, but i suppose it is an ongoing legal issue i see this story in the new york post that a guy is wearing a or a guy claims that he was wearing a Trump hat and sued a uh, is suing a bar for refu- refusing to serve him because he was wearing a Make America Great Again hat and it was kind of funny because uh, that when that story came out about a week ago the last bar in fact the last drink that I had had was at that bar a few days before the incident in question uh, here in in the village uh, in the village neighborhood of New York City. Uh, and it's just kind of funny that, you know, I'm not somebody who goes to bars very often, but this was the bar that I was in. And then this guy goes in there, he's got to make America great again, hat on. And I suppose it's just a reminder for me that you really couldn't walk around this. You know, I was in there with my girlfriend and I'm not about to get into a political, you know, political debate with anybody at a bar anyway. I don't know. But, you know, you wear, you wear a make America great again hat in this city, unfortunately, uh, shockingly. Uh, at your own risk. Uh, it's. I, I think I, I should try to track this down. I'm sure there have been some people who have done those hidden camera walk around uh, on the street situations where they show what it would be like. I can tell you that my, and now maybe I'm getting myself into a position where I'm going to have to do this, but I'm pretty confident that if I walked around the city with a bright red Make America Great this is the largest city in the country, okay? President Trump is president for everybody here, just like everyone else in the rest of the country. If I walked around with a Make America Great Again hat on, uh, that there would be there would be trouble. And I don't mean because I'm Buck Sexton who does a radio show, although if they figured that out, I'd really probably be in trouble. A conservative radio show. I mean, I'm like, I am, you know, evil. I'm like the Sith Lord or, or uh, Voldemort or something. Uh, I know I'm sounding a little nerdy right now, but that's okay. Uh, I don't think I could walk around the city with a Make America Great Again hat on. That should tell you that I'm doing the show from New York City right now, as I as I always do. And it's my hometown. I grew up here and I couldn't even wear a hat with the slogan of the sitting president and think that I would be safe from possibly getting into a fist fight. So that's what it's like here. So wherever you are, if you're not in New York City, at least you don't have to worry about that as much, although I'm pretty sure it's bad in L.A. and other places, too. All right, team, thank you so much for being here. Got a lot in mind already for tomorrow's show in the Freedom Hut. Download today's show. Go to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton and Shield Talk.